Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. In 1776, when the U.S. Declaration of Independence appeared, and in 1859, when Darwin's Origin of Species appeared, the Christianity that held sway in Europe, colonized Africa, and the colonized Western Hemisphere was about hierarchy. The Christian hierarchy established humanity's place in the great chain of being, and a person's place in the social pyramid on all sorts of factors, perceived race, gender, nationality, social class, and on and on. And it othered beasts. Uh, beasts were other and could be tortured and killed with impunity. Non-Christians were other and could be displaced and killed with little provocation and with no excuse um, other than they weren't Christians. And Africans could be tortured, murdered, and enslaved with impunity. Women could be denied basic human rights and on and on. For example, the contemporary Cameroonian philosopher Akil Mamembe says of U.S. policy toward African nations even today, Quote, it's the political theology of the American state that is what people have a problem with, insofar as the God it invokes is a melancholy God, irascible and vengeful. Mercy has no part in that God's laws and precepts. He is a jealous and unforgiving God, swift to destroy and forever requiring human sacrifice. How indeed can one claim to make a world on the basis of a politics almost exclusively founded on a single question, who is my enemy, mine, here and now, and how can I exterminate them, end quote. The God of Christianity had, according to the powers that were, issued a blank check to European prejudices and power structures. And for many, it still does today. As Charles Darwin phrased it, man in his arrogance thinks himself a great work worthy of the interposition of a deity. Interposition isn't a word we hear much nowadays, though we still use the word interpose. In our arrogance, we human beings consider ourselves important enough to have been created by a great God. Well, now... Many of us know that crown of creation claptrap is just wrong. If there's one thing that natural selection does for human morality, it is to remove easy us them thinking, too often one of the key elements of and one of the key failures of the human religious and moral imagination. Natural selection shows clearly that all human beings are one family. All living things are one family. Everything is one family. We are carbon. 
We are the cells that exist in symbiotic relationships. We are the stuff of the seabeds, the swamps, and the stars. There is no break in continuity between the stones and protozoa and insects and fish and animals and us who are also animals. We must be humble for we are made in exactly the same way that are all things. As Darwin wrote, more humble and I believe truer to consider the human created from animals, end quote. Yes, Charles Darwin, he was a man of his time. He was racist and he was sexist and he was imperialist and he was speciesist and so on and on. Yet Darwin's dangerous idea began to crack the foundations of European and American Christian hegemony. As the British anarcho-punk band Chumbawamba phrased it in a song about Darwin called Charlie, human beings could, after Darwin at last, steer a course for a brave new world of common sense and wonder. It's not easy or quick to break down entrenched powers with only ideas. But a young scientist of that time period, Thomas Henry Huxley, saw what natural selection meant. On the 23rd of November, 1859, only a few days after the publication of Origin of Species, Huxley wrote Darwin a letter, and here's a little bit, quote, as for your doctrines, I am prepared to go to the stake if requisite. I trust you will not allow yourself to be in any way disgusted or annoyed by the considerable abuse and misrepresentation, which, unless I greatly mistake, is in store for you. And as to the curs which will bark and yelp, you must recollect that some of your friends are at any rate endowed with an amount of combativeness, which, though you have often and justly rebuked it, may stand you in good stead. I am sharpening up my claws and beak in readiness, end quote. Huxley's words, prepared to go to the stake, incisively summarizes Darwin's origin of species. It is the stuff that heresy and religious revolution is made of. Furthermore, Huxley was incisively reading the room when he prophesied the, quote, considerable abuse and misrepresentation, which, unless I greatly mistake, is in store for you, end quote. The barking and yelping of those losing power is with us still, exactly because the theory of natural selection removes white men from the cathedra, the seat of power, and it removes humanity from the pinnacle. Despite a very common misunderstanding, we humanists humbly insist that we are not special as a species, though we do recognize a great responsibility due to our awesome and awful and terrifying ability to devise and plan and destroy. The theory of natural selection is essential science, but Natural selection is also a profound religious and philosophical insight. Thomas Huxley saw it immediately. He was ready to be burned at the stake for this new infidelity, this new heresy, because he knew it was the most profound of truths concerning our human condition. 
This was best summed up by Darwin in 1837, the year after he got back from his fateful journey on the HMS Beagle. And he wrote this in his notebook, quote, if we choose to let conjecture run wild, then animals, our fellow brethren in pain, diseases, death, suffering, and famine, our slaves in the most laborious works, our companions in our amusements, they may partake our origin in one common ancestor. We may be all netted together. We humanists choose to conjecture wildly. Science has shown that we know now that we are all netted together in that interdependent web of all existence, in that web of mutuality, as Martin Luther King phrased it. And if we are to strive and survive, we must find a way toward that beloved community. Darwin was not responsible for the mistakes people made in reading him. First, as Thomas Huxley saw, natural selection is not about the survival of the fittest. This is a mysticism introduced into the theory by a later theorist, Herbert Spencer. Natural selection operates through random mutations. Then, when the habitat changes, often due to chaotic forces, some survive due to these random mutations. There is no survival of the fittest. It's survival of the lucky ones who most likely won't be lucky next time. The entirely directionless and random nature of natural selection is another reality that should keep us humble. The order Blatitodia, which includes cockroaches, may well be much better and fitter to survive than we as a species homo sapiens. Humanists know that we are obligated to act on the knowledge that we have. It is our responsibility. Nothing can save us but ourselves. You know, the, natural, the theory of natural selection is not Darwin's alone. He came in a line of thinkers and scientists that continues to this day. Uh, we know that another British scientist, Alfred Russell Wallace, was working on the same idea at the same time. We also know that natural selection had had a life of its own already in France. In the mid-18th century, Georges-Louis Leclerc Comte du Buffon uh, noticed that plants were different in different parts of the world. Now, why would that be, he asked. Now, for us, the answer is very clear. It's, it's climate. But when Buffon published that surmise in the early volumes of his Histoire Naturelle in 1749, he was condemned by the entire theology faculty of the Sorbonne. Buffon's idea, which gained traction in France during the buildup to the French Revolution, began to be called transformationism and was considered at the time one of the causes of the French Revolution. After all, if plants and animals transform through time, why can't human governments and human societies transform through time? Transformationism was feared in England as a Frenchified revolutionary idea. Darwin, as a matter of fact, claimed not to have heard of the concept or to have read Buffon. Yet, 
an intriguing and very real possibility that has only recently come to light uh, is that Darwin may have been instructed in taxidermy by a man named John Edmundstone, a formerly enslaved African who moved to Edinburgh, Scotland. And Darwin studied at the university where he did learn taxidermy, which aided his later study of animals. Also, Edmund Stone had traveled extensively in South America and may have introduced the idea of going there into the young Darwin's mind. And Edmund Stone would almost certainly have known and discussed that dangerous Frenchified idea, transformationism. Yeah, Darwin was a person of his time. He was classist, sexist, racist, speciesist, and the list goes on. Just as was another person born on the exact day, February 12, 1809, Abraham Lincoln. Ideas and hopes of liberation can come from unlikely and even unwitting sources. That fact does not change the possibility of revolution and liberation. Now, allow me to repeat that quote from Darwin that I read a little bit earlier. Man in his arrogance thinks himself a great work worthy of the interposition of a deity, more humble, and I believe truer to consider the human created from animals. In his book, Pale Blue Dot, Carl Sagan repeated that quote from Darwin, and then he wrote this. Our time is burdened under the cumulative weight of successive debunkings of our conceits. We're Johnny-come-latelys. We live in the cosmic boondocks. We emerged from microbes and muck. Apes are our cousins. Our thoughts and feelings are not fully under our own control. There may be much smarter and very different beings elsewhere. And on top of all this, we're making a mess of our planet and becoming a danger to ourselves. The trap door of our feet, uh, beneath our feet swings open. We find ourselves in bottomless freefall. We are lost in a great darkness, and there's no one to send out a search party. Given so harsh a reality, of course we're tempted to shut our eyes and pretend that we're safe and snug at home, that the fall is only a bad dream. Once we overcome our fear of being tiny, we find ourselves on the threshold of a vast and awesome universe that utterly dwarfs in time and space and in potential the tidy anthropocentric proscenium of our ancestors." End quote. Still today, humanity cowers in what Sagan called that anthropocentric proscenium of our ancestors. Petty prejudices, pointless hatreds, nonsensical arguments over nonsensical superstitions. Yet humanism invites us to strive for and live in beloved community with all that is and with all of our knowledge, denying none of it. It invites us to steer a course for a brave new world of common sense and wonder. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.